We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 571 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. I am your host, Andy Herman. I think I have a quick in-and-out episode for you today. I might actually keep us close to the 20-minute time limit that we usually set in the introduction every day and absolutely never uh, actually consider when we're recording our podcast. Sorry about that. Uh, But I have a fun topic to discuss today. I'm going to kind of go over a few different potential realistic trade options that Green Bay could consider this offseason. I'm trying to keep this as realistic as possible, not do anything too crazy. This isn't going to be your Odell Beckham Jr. trades, your Le'Veon Bell trades. I know those trades are a lot of fun to discuss and they're good conjecture, but in reality, they're probably not going to happen. So I'm targeting today some potential trades that could make sense. I'm trying to keep it within the realm of possibility. I'm trying to keep it even for for both sides and trying to give both sides of the story. I'm not trying to rip off other teams or trying to do Madden type trades where you can, uh, you know, kind of work the system a little bit. Uh, I'm trying to legitimately put my 
myself in the shoes of both GMs in this situation and trying to figure out some deals that would make sense for both sides. So some of these aren't going to be perfect and there's probably going to be a degree of difference each way. I think the better way to look at this at these trades would be uh, a starting point for discussions. It could be something where one team wants a little bit more, the other team wants a little bit more, and maybe something never really comes to fruition. But I, I think the, the baseline of these deals that I'm going to discuss are at least within within the realm of conversation. And that's what I'm kind of shooting for today. And again, within the realm of realism. So uh, the first trade that I want to discuss is kind of the one that brought me to this topic today and one that I posted on Twitter. Most people seem to agree that it uh, was a good move for Green Bay and was at least within the realm of possibility, which I'll get into in just a moment. But that deal is Josh Jackson, Montrevious Adams, and a fifth round pick to the Cleveland Browns for David Njoku and a future seventh round pick. So let me kind of break this down in a little bit greater detail to kind of go over my thought process here. I think the hardest part to gauge here is just how much value the the Cleveland Browns' new regime puts in David Njoku because the previous regime seemed to completely lose faith in him. And the reason that I think this deal is possible is because David Njoku struggled with drops the last couple seasons, uh, struggled with coaching so much so that he got benched at the end of last year, not only benched, but he was inactive for the last stretch of games after he came back from injury. He completely completely fell out of favor in Cleveland, but this is a player with tremendous talent, tremendous receiving ability, and actually has the ability to stretch the field downfield, can run after the catch. Yes, he's going to struggle with drops at some time, but there's reasons why he was selected in the first round of the draft. In fact, this was the selection where Cleveland or Cleveland traded up with Green Bay. Green Bay traded back, of course, the infamous trade that uh, led Green Bay to select Kevin King, Green Bay passing on TJ Watt. Cleveland selected David Njoku. Um, But I do think there is a ton of talent there with David Njoku that's left untapped. And this is a a topic of discussion that I'm going to discuss in a couple different trades uh, here today. And that's tight ends generally don't do well in their very first contract. Usually it takes them towards the end of their first contract or the beginning of their second contract to kind of work things out and figure things out. Now, there's always exceptions to the rule. Um, You know, George Kittle is a great example of that. He, uh, he, you know, he was good in his first year. He was phenomenal in his second year. Uh, you know, and, and there's going to be some other tight ends. I think Dallas Goddard's a pretty good example as well. He hasn't totally broken out yet, but he's been good throughout his first couple of years in the NFL as well. But for the most part, tight end is a difficult position to kind of figure out and make sure that you're blocking adequately, you're receiving adequately. There is a lot to learn. So uh, I think it's a position that sometimes gets undervalued at the beginning part of the contract. Contract, and I think there's some opportunity to gain value in a trade from a player who maybe didn't perform up to expectations in the first couple of years of their contract, uh, but I think their best years are still ahead of them, and that's why I view David Njoku this way. Now, again, as I mentioned, the, the difficult thing to, to kind of question is, is how does Cleveland feel about that? Do they see uh, you know, did they lose enough faith in David Njoku last year that they're willing to move on, even though it's a new regime, new coach, new GM, etc.? 
or do they want to kind of get their own players in and they're ready to move on and, and maybe take a chance somewhere else? So the the trade that I again proposed, Josh Jackson, Montrevious Adams, and a fifth round pick for Njoku and a future seventh round pick. So uh, a couple things. Why would Cleveland consider this deal? Let's say even he fell out of favor. You know, what would interest them in Josh Jackson or Montrevious Adams or a fifth round pick? That doesn't sound like the most enticing set of prospects, right? So again, the, the first thing and the most important thing is that in order for this deal to come to fruition, it, it, it does in fact need to be the case that Cleveland has fallen out of love with David Njoku. If they still have a lot of value in him, they're not doing this deal. Let's let's be serious here. But if they did in fact fall out of favor, or if he fell out of favor with the Browns and they're looking to move on from him, and the rumor has been that they are potentially looking to move on from him, then I think this potential deal has some opportunity. So you look at some of the in and outs of this type of deal. Uh, David Njoku has one year left on his deal. He does have a second year option. I can't imagine that Cleveland's looking to pick this up at the moment. I also don't think that Green Bay would immediately pick it up either. I think if this deal were to be made, it would probably be for kind of a one-year prove-it deal, and then they'd kind of wait and see from there. Josh Jackson, two years left on his deal and a little bit more unproven than David Njoku. So, you know, we saw Josh Jackson in his first year kind of play out of position a little bit in that slot corner role, a lot of man-to-man defense. That's not Josh Jackson, right? So you want to see him in some outside zone coverage, less man-to-man, certainly not in slot. And I think Josh Jackson has the ability to, to be successful in that type of role. You take a young player with two years left on his deal, former second round pick. I can see a team like Cleveland who could use some corners. They have Greedy Williams. They have Denzel Ward, certainly two uh, quality. Uh, Denzel Ward's fantastic, and uh, Greedy Williams is, is coming an up-and-coming type player. I, I think you have good corners there, but I think they could use depth. You know, TJ Carey, Terrence Mitchell, not exactly household names. So I think they'd love to get younger, and I think they'd love to, you know, be able to build a core of of Denzel Ward, Josh Jackson, as well as Greedy Williams. So I think that'd be a tremendous core for Cleveland at the cornerback position. I think they get a player with a lot of potential. I think they would add depth. And again, if they've fallen out of favor with David Njoku, I think this could be a potential trade that would make sense for them. You know, Montrevious Adams is, is basically a throw-in type of player, former third round pick. Green Bay would eat all the signing bonus, so there'd be no guaranteed money for Cleveland. They would get the opportunity to plug him in, see if he could maybe make a name for himself. Uh, maybe they could pull out uh, you know, the, the talent out of Montrevious Adams like Green Bay has been incapable of doing so far. I, I just think it's, a, it's an add-on piece that maybe could be attractive to Cleveland to see if they could gain that value out of a, a former talented rookie that hasn't really shown that he's up to snuff in the NFL so far. And then the, the fifth for seventh round swap, I do think that ultimately Green Bay is getting the highest upside here in David Njoku. So I think you throw in that fifth round pick, you get a future seventh round pick back in exchange. Not a huge issue there for Green Bay. I, I think the, the couple of big questions that would need to be answered here, I mentioned one already, how much does this new regime value David Njoku? Would Green Bay be able to, uh, you know, be willing to give up, you know, the second, uh, you know, the two years of Josh Jackson for p- potentially only one? one year of David Njoku, uh, plus giving up a fifth for a seventh, you know, on surface, on paper, if you're looking at which, 
set of, of uh, prospects or which set of players impacts the team more in 2020, it's probably David Njoku, you know, overall over Jackson and Adams in a fifth round pick. But uh, you have to look at this as more than just a one-year deal, uh, you know, overall. You know, Green Bay gets David Njoku potentially for only one year. They get a future seventh round pick and they're giving up two years of Josh Jackson, Montrevious Adams, plus a fifth round pick, which is obviously better than that seventh. So it's not just this easy deal. There's so much that goes into this. Again, the the length of the contracts, the money, Cleveland would save some money in this deal. Josh Jackson, Montrevious Adams make less than David Njoku. So that's going to be something that would play into this. As far as Green Bay goes, I love the idea of pairing Jay Sternberger with David Njoku and bringing back Mercedes Lewis. To me, that is a fantastic core. You would still have Robert Tanyan potentially as a number four tight end. You'd have a lot of depth there. You'd have receiving options in Sternberger and Njoku. You'd have a blocking option in Mercedes Lewis. Robert Tanyan improved as a blocker this past year. He'd be kind of that number two option as a blocker. I think the one thing it would leave you with a question mark as is, you know, do you have an all-around tight end? And the answer is probably no. I think Sternberger can trend in that direction, but I think that's a lot to expect out of him in year two. So I think they'd still have some questions there, and I think they would still have kind of specialty roles for those tight ends. But I do think that this is a, a potential really good signing or good trade for Green Bay. And the last thing that I want to mention is when I put this trade on Twitter, you know, a lot of people said, what, you you know, you don't have faith in Jay Sternberger. You don't think he can do that. That's not the case at all. I love Jay Sternberger. I think he has a ton of potential and I think he's really going to succeed in this league. But I think you'd love to give him, you know, potentially one more year. I think you'd love to give yourself options with talented tight ends like David Njoku. And I think you'd love to run a lot more two tight end sets with both players being able to be threats down the field. And a two tight end set with David Njoku and Jay Sternberger, Aaron Jones in the backfield, Devontae Adams, hopefully a a potential new uh, number two receiver via free agency or the draft, or even if that's Alan Lazard, you know, there's a lot of potential with that offense with Green Bay's offensive line and Aaron Rodgers, of course, at quarterback. So I like this deal for Green Bay. I think it makes sense for Cleveland if they're looking to move on. They gain some depth at corner. They get a kind of a wild card at defensive tackle. They pick up a fifth round pick. That's not a bad return for a player that they were probably only going to keep one more year and has not been successful in their program so far. So I think that's an interesting deal, one that I think both teams would probably be smart to make. Deal number two, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling to the San Francisco 49ers for Dante Pettis. I like this deal in principle for a lot of different reasons. Now, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is the more upside player, maybe the more talented player, although Pettis is talented too, but I think the more talented and and has the higher upside. But I do think it's worth noting that Marquez Valdez-Scantling in two straight seasons with two straight regimes, two different regimes, has seemingly fallen out of favor in both years, whereas you saw him gain reps towards the beginning and middle of the year and basically be non-existent by the end of the year. There were some injury issues there, but uh, this seems to be more than just injury. This seems to be he fell out of favor. I think he had one snap in the last game against San Francisco in the NFC Championship game. Green Bay, and I think specifically Aaron Rodgers, does not seem to trust MVS with where he's going to be with his routes at the moment. And I think 
You saw some of the success that Green Bay could have going deep to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, but at the same time, that success was few and far between. They took a lot of shots. They didn't gain um, you know, a, a lot of great results out of a lot of those shots. There were a lot of incomplete passes mixed in there, and, and I just don't think it's been a successful couple years with an Aaron Rodgers to Marquez Valdez-Scantling connection. Now, the question for Green Bay is do you want to give up on that talent and that potential that MVS possesses? And, uh, you know, maybe the answer is no. And of course, if that's, if that's the, the end of the discussion there, that, that may well be it. But I do think that he's fallen out of favor the last couple of years. And I just don't think that potentially the trust is there. And he was a fifth round pick for a reason. He's got a ton of great speed. He's not a great, you know, um, you know, contested catch type receiver. He's not a great leaper for all of his great, you know, traits and athleticism. He's not a great vertical guy. He's not a great route runner. And and again, I just think he's fallen out of favor a little bit with Green Bay and specifically with Aaron Rodgers. So uh, I've said for uh, a while now, I think he could be a sneaky trade candidate or even potentially cut candidate um, if if Green Bay especially picks up a few receivers in free agency in the draft. Uh, but I think this would be a, a good way to get ahead of things. It would be a good change of scenery. And on San Francisco's side, a lot of the things I've said about, you know, Mark Rozelle, the San- Scantling can be said about Dante Pettis as well. He has not been able to to break that uh, rotation. He's been inactive a ton, but I think what he would potentially bring to Green Bay, he has some of those gadget play type abilities. He's a great returner, at least he was in college. I think he'd have the ability to bring that to Green Bay, especially as a punt returner. I think he'd be a better route runner and more trustworthy than Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And for San Francisco, you know, with Pettis, again, they haven't been able to build trust with him. I think they would be able to get a deep threat. You know, they have Emmanuel Sanders, who's not the deep threat that he used to be. Debo Samuel, who's more an intermediate, short gadget type threat, you know, and then you have, you know, Kendrick Bourne, who's more of an intermediate possession type receiver. They don't have that deep receiver. Mark uh, Marquise Goodwin uh, could come back and, and maybe, you know, present that, but uh, Mark Wasvelda Scantley would be a younger, cheaper option and give them that deep threat. So I do see this as a trade that would potentially make sense for both sides. Um, adding into this is that San Francisco would, you know, save some money off of this deal. Uh, MVS makes a little bit less than Dante Pettis. San Francisco would have to eat a little bit of the the cat or the uh, signing bonus that they gave to Pettis, but they would still end off on uh, end up on the better from a cash standpoint. So they get a player that you know really could fit in their offense from a deep speed type standpoint, a player that maybe they're kind of missing. Um, they're not giving up much because Pettis hasn't provided them much so far. And I just think this is kind of another one of those change of scenery type of plays that could make sense for both teams. So that's a deal that I really like. And uh, I definitely think Dante Pettis could come in and be a factor in Green Bay. And even if he doesn't develop into a great receiver, like I said, some of those gadget type plays that they were running with Tyler Irvin, the punt return ability, I think Pettis has that, and it would be nice to be able to line somebody out wide like they did with Irvin uh, with some of those jet sweeps that could also be a receiver on the outside as well. So uh, I like this deal for both teams, and I think Pettis would bring uh, a new dimension to Green Bay's offense. Deal number three, a third round pick and Robert Tanyan for OJ Howard and a seventh round pick. Now, uh, I think the biggest thing to to kind of gauge here, again, is very similar to David Njoku, is just how much O.J. Howard's fallen out of favor in Tampa Bay. We know Cameron Brait is tight end number one there. So, I, you know, you would think potentially there's some room for, for Tampa to maybe move on from Howard. He has never really clicked with Jameis Winston and within either of the offenses, you know, whether it be Dirk Ketter's, you know, offense when he was offensive coordinator a couple seasons back, or whether it be Bruce 
Arians offense this past year, you know, it, it just hasn't clicked. And I think you go back to what I mentioned about David and Joku, tight ends generally don't really click until the start of their second contract, or at least the end of their first contract. And everything that I saw out of Alabama from OJ Howard leads me to believe that he can be a dynamic tight end in the league, both as a blocker and as a receiver. I think he can be that exact all around tight end that Green Bay is missing. And I do not think you are going to find a better value, at least from the tight end standpoint in this draft with a third round pick and end of the third round pick, basically an early fourth round pick, um, you know, what they'd be giving up for OJ Howard. You throw in, you know, Robert Tanyan, Tampa doesn't have a ton of depth at tight end. Um, so if they are going to give up Howard, they would have Braid, but not a ton else. So you're probably going to have to sweeten that a little bit, maybe give them some reason to, to kind of bite on this and give them a tight end who has some potential, hasn't really developed yet. I've mentioned multiple times in my grading the pack series that Robert Tanyan seems to kind of be in a little bit of no man's land. And what I mean by that, when he first came in, uh, if you if you kind of go back out of college, he was a receiver. When he came in as a tight end, he was undersized and more of a receiving threat tight end. They didn't really have a blocking tight end until they brought Mercedes Lewis back. And even after Lewis, Graham's not going to block. Sternberger wasn't quite developed yet. They needed Tanyan to kind of put on some weight and become a blocking tight end. I think he put on that functional weight, but I think it took away from his receiving ability. I don't think he's quite as dynamic anymore as a receiver, and he's still not a great blocker. So I think if some team could kind of get him at the right size, strength, speed, where he's more of that speedy type, uh, you know, wide tight end who can get up the field, hit the seam, you know, hit some, you know, hit some even potentially deeper routes or some good out routes. Uh, I think some team could really hit on Robert Tanyan, but uh, I think that would be a nice piece, you know, to pick up for Tampa Bay and a third round pick for Tampa is nothing to sneeze at either. So I think that could be a, an, an enticing trade for Tampa Bay. Again, this is more of like a starting point for the discussion. You know, even if Green Bay didn't get back that seventh round pick, no big deal. Uh, but again, OJ Howard, a couple of years left on the deal. I think his potential is there. I think he can be that all around tight end. And I think this deal would make a great deal of sense for Green Bay. And again, bringing back a Mercedes Lewis potentially on the deal like he had last year. You have OJ Howard as that all around tight end. You have Jay Sternberger more as the receiving tight end, although he showed up as a blocker last year as well. And then you have Mercedes Lewis as that kind of dedicated block blocking tight end. You know, if you could dedicate Sternberger as the receiving tight end, that would give you a receiving tight end in Sternberger, an all-around tight end in Howard, and a blocking tight end in Lewis. That's exactly the type of you know different flavors that I like to see in a tight end group. It gives you a little bit of everything, and I think Howard could kind of bring the piece, be the piece that brings that all together. You know, you go two tight end sets with with Sternberger and Howard. You can still go run, and and Sternberger and Howard have the ability to block up front. Um, but you know you can easily spread those guys out wide and really become a dynamic offense that way. You put in Howard and, and Mercedes Lewis, and that's going to give Aaron Jones a lot of potential from a running standpoint. But teams can't just sell it on the run because OJ Howard's a, a talented enough receiver, and Mercedes Lewis brings just enough to the table off of play action that you know he can kind of find some of those zones a little bit as well. So uh, I think those are those are some tight end options that would be really intriguing. And, and again, OJ Howard would kind of be the player that would bring that all together. The next deal would be a trade from the Packers with the Arizona Cardinals, and that would be Oren Burks and a seventh round pick for Hassan Reddick. Um, again, another change of scenery type deal for both teams. 
Reddick's just never really hit the ground running after being a first round pick in Arizona. You know, out of college, he showed that he could be an off ball linebacker, an edge player, and a blitzer, a coverage guy. He showed a little bit of everything, but he kind of in the the NFL has been a a player that has kind of been a jack of all trades, but a master of none, and and just never really clicked with Arizona's defense. And uh, there have been rumors of him being traded for a while now. Uh, you know, who does that kind of sound like in Green Bay? At least that first part of it, where you know Oren Burks played safety, edge rusher, and inside linebacker in college, but has not been able to do kind of any of it uh, from an NFL standpoint, certainly not in the realm of a safety or an edge rusher. And from a linebacking standpoint, just hasn't been consistent. He looks lost at the field at times. And I think the biggest thing with Burks that you see on tape is you just see him thinking a lot. It's not flowing. It's not natural. And he he had one year you know, of linebacker in college, you know, he has, he's now had a couple of years in the NFL where he hasn't got a lot of playing time. And, you know, he, he's a smart kid. He went to Vanderbilt, you know, and, and you would, you know, you would like to see that he's kind of figuring it out at this point, but that hasn't been the case. Athletically, he's gifted, but uh, you know, he just hasn't been able to find that role in Green Bay. So I think this is a, a really nice change of scenery deal. Again, you have to kind of look at the details with the with the deals in this one where Hassan Reddick last year of his deal makes way more money than Burke. So Green Bay would be taking on significantly more cap as well as only getting one year out of Reddick where the Cardinals would be saving money and getting two years out of Burke. So that's what I say when you know, you, you can't just look at it as Burks for Reddick. You know, if you pulled, you know, 32 GMs and said, Hey, f- you know, for 2020, you can either have Hassan Reddick or you can have Oren Burks. They're probably all to a T saying Hassan Reddick. But if you said, Hey, you can have one year of Hassan Reddick at $4 million or two years of Oren Burks at $2 million total, and you get a seventh round pick, you know, that gives you a lot more pause and that gives you a, a bit more interest in maybe making that deal. So I think this deal makes sense for Arizona. I think it could potentially make sense for Green Bay. They need an influx of talent and athleticism at linebacker. And I think he could be somebody that fits in well with Mike Patton's defense. So another change of scenery type deal and another deal that I would like for Green Bay. Last but not least, my fifth trade that I think would be uh, you know, it, within the realm of realism. And this one might be stretching it a little bit. I'll be the first to admit that. But I think this is another one where you kind of have to dig a little bit deeper. And that's the Packers trading a second round pick and Montrevious Adams to the Cleveland Browns for Larry Ogunjobi. Now, the first thing that you might have to get by here is you may not know Larry Ogunjobi that well. He is not a very well-known name outside of the Cleveland Browns and outside of people who watch a lot of football. Larry Ogunjobi is a tremendous, tremendous defensive tackle and one of the best players in the league that a lot of players, a lot of people don't know about. And he would solve so many problems on the interior of that defense, so much so that it would make it less important that Green Bay went out and got a really strong inside linebacker because I think they could kind of fill those gaps a little bit better when you're playing between, uh, you know, two players like Larry Ogunjobi and Kenny Clark on the inside of the defense. You put a, a defensive front four together of Larry Ogunjobi, Kenny Clark, Preston Smith, and Zadarius Smith, and it is nothing short of beyond terrifying. And I mean that sincerely. Like I do not know how opposing offenses would deal with that type of group up front with just those four guys. It would give Mike Patton so much flexibility. And the issue last year with Mike Patton and that defense is they could go Kenny Clark and Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith and some other guy in the middle, 
but they didn't have the ability up the middle to stop the run. That stops right here and now, pairing together Larry Ogunjobi and Kenny Clark on the interior of a defense, along with Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith on the outside. I don't even care who's playing inside linebacker behind those two. They have the ability to eat up front and really stop the run, plus get pressure on the quarterback. So I think this is a genius deal for Green Bay. But as I mentioned, you have to dig deeper. And and, and a lot of people who know Larry Ogunjobi uh, and, and the Cleveland Browns may say, this deal makes zero sense for the Browns. Why would they give up this massively talented interior defensive line player for Montrevious Adams, who is, you know, for all relative purposes, a, a nothing at this point. And, you know, he doesn't move the needle at all in this trade and a second round pick. And here's where you have to dig in deeper because Larry Ogunjobi is in the last year of his deal. So Green Bay would have to be dedicated long-term to giving a long-term deal to Larry Ogunjobi and realistically, Kenny Clark, while already paying Preston Smith and Sedarius Smith big money on the outside and giving Dean Lowry last year a extension as well where he's making decent money, that's a lot to chew for a front you know, personnel group. And you know, from a Cleveland standpoint, looking at it from the other side of view, you know, you have already a ton of money invested in Sheldon Richardson. You have a ton of money invested in Miles Garrett and also in Olivier Vernon. So are they going to want to give another contract and a huge dollar amount to Larry Ogunjobi to kind of complete that set as well? So the the benefits for Cleveland, and let's kind of go over that first, is they still have a very, very good defensive front in Miles Garrett, Sheldon Richardson, and Olivier Vernon. And they can plug in some other guys. They can pick up some guys in the draft, a cheaper free agent, and still have a tremendous defensive line, even sans Larry Ogunjobi. They pick up a player in Montrevious Adams, and they get a second-round pick. That's a lot of potential value, especially if they don't think that they're going to re-sign Larry Ogunjobi next year. Yes, maybe another team picks him up, and they get a you know future third-round pick from a compensation pick standpoint, but that's an end-of-the-third-round type of pick you know, rather than a second-round pick pick now from Green Bay. So I I think that could make some sense for Cleveland. The other thing to note is that Cleveland in this new regime is going to be very analytical based. And if you talk to a lot of analytical people, they will tell you that that interior defensive tackle position isn't as valuable as edge rushers in other positions on the NFL or on their team, on their roster, as well as just in the front seven in general. You know, uh, off-ball linebackers and edge rushers, great is more value and more importance from a analytical standpoint than interior defensive linemen do. So if they're looking at it from that point, they might be saying like, "Hey, I have one year of this, you know, yet you know, really great player, but at a unvaluable position, and I can pick up a second-round pick and a you know potential player in Montrevious Adams, maybe to take a few of those snaps away." Like they legitimately may jump at that type of deal because of the value that they're getting for something that they don't perceive to have a ton of value in, in that interior defensive lineman group. So I think that's why Cleveland may have some interest here. As far as Green Bay goes, I think the difficult thing to get by is what if they only get Larry Ogunjobi for a year and they have to give up a second round pick for that? That is a tough pill to swallow. But here's here's my thought process on it. One, 
it's they're not limited to one year in Larry Ogunjobi. If he does perform up to expectations, they can resign him. Yes, they're paying a lot up front. They'd have to make some sacrifices elsewhere, but they're not limited to that. And even if he does sign somewhere else, again, they could get a third round pick back from a compensation pick in a future season based off of you know what another team gives Larry Ogunjobi uh, next off season. But here's the reason that it makes a ton of sense for Green Bay. He makes only two million dollars this season, so they don't have a ton of money to throw around. They don't have a ton of capital. Being able to get that type of player to fix so many issues in the middle of the defense for only two million dollars, potentially get a third, you know, a third round pick in the future, even if they don't resign him. I love this deal for Green Bay. And I know that second round pick for maybe only a rent a player is really tough to swallow. This is one of those situations and scenarios where I think you have to consider it again, because you either get him back on a longer term deal or you get that third round pick back later at worst, a fourth round pick. And I think you'd do better than that. So this is why I like that deal for Green Bay. But imagine again, a front of the Smiths, Clark and Ogunjobi, and I just think that in and of in and of itself is worth it. And again, it, this is not you know pick forty you know in the second round. This is an end of the second round draft pick, basically a beginning third round pick. And I think because of that, because of the value you get in Ogunjobi, because you potentially get a third round back in a couple of years, I think the value is is there because it fixes so many problems in the middle of the defense for Green Bay. So. That's why I like this deal, um, and those are five deals that I would consider. One other thing I did want to quickly go over: Josh Rosen is a name I posted it out on Twitter. Uh, you know what deals, realistic deals, would other people consider? Josh Rosen was a name that I I heard back a lot. I'm all for it. You know, if they can get Josh Rosen for a fourth, fifth round pick, a day a day three pick, I think there's still value in Josh Rosen. I don't see it happening. And, and there's a couple of reasons. I think his arm strength is, is certainly a concern. And I think if you look at, at Brian Gutekunst's MO, you know, who are the quarterbacks that he's kind of brought in? Tim Boyle, huge arm. Deshaun Kaiser, huge, huge arm. And, and that's coming from that Ron Wolf theory of thought and especially playing in a, a cold weather area like Green Bay. You know, you get the wrong wind conditions or the wrong weather in Green Bay. And the question becomes, does Josh Rosen even have enough arm talent to, you know, play at a successful level in those type of conditions? Um, I think the answer is he could be good enough, uh, but I don't think that the cold weather is probably the best case and the best situation for Josh Rosen. But I do think if you can get him at the right price, I, I would still be for it. And I also think you have some connections there. So Aaron Rodgers kind of mentored Rosen before the draft. I think that would be a fun mentorship. Um, you know, so I, I think there's some positives there. He, he, you know, listen, he had one of his best games. It wasn't a great game, but he had one of his best games against Green Bay in Lambeau Field in poor conditions where they led, you know, he led Arizona to a win over Green Bay, which was, you know, kind of what led to Mike McCarthy's firing. So I'm not, I'm not against it. Uh, you know, again, a day three pick for, for Josh Rosen, you know, let, let's see what happens. Uh, I was huge on Josh Rosen coming out. Um, he hasn't lived up to my expectations so far. And uh, I, I, huge is maybe the wrong word. I liked him coming out. I saw some of the issues there. I think one of the things that scared me away is I forget who it was, but one NFL draft analyst compared him to Tim Couch. And then every time I watched his tape after that, I couldn't not see him as Tim Couch. It was legitimately striking. So uh, that was one image that I couldn't get out of my head. So I still have some fears there, but I really like Josh Rosen. I think he's gone through a lot of adversity so far, and I'd be excited to see him in Green Bay kind of mentored uh, 
within the Matt LaFleur offense and under Aaron Rodgers. So I'd be for it, but I, I just don't necessarily see it happening. And it doesn't seem like the type of quarterback that Brian Gutekunst would be interested in. That's it. All right. I didn't make it the 20 minutes. I apologize. I'm still a little bit over 30, but I think this is a fun topic of discussion always. Anytime you can kind of go over some potential trades, I think it makes it a little bit more fun. Uh, But that does do it for me today. Make sure to check out Mike Wentlint and company tomorrow as they break down the expectations for Matt LaFleur heading into year two. But thank you so much as always for listening. Always appreciate it. And as always, go Pack Go. Hi, this is Nick Schmitz, one of the hosts of a -A Pack-A-Day podcast. Since you're a fan of the Green Bay Packers, you are probably a fan of Friday Night Fish Fries. It's a staple of Wisconsin heritage, and we want to let you know how you can support Friday Night Fish Fries. You can do this through supporting The Farmery. The Farmery is a non-profit aquaponics farm and fish hatchery, and they are excited to launch their state-of-the-art yellow perch fish hatchery in downtown Green Bay. The hatchery will produce fish that aquaculture farmers can grow out and produce for your family's Friday Night Fish Fry. In partnership with the Green Bay Packers and the Greater Green Bay Community Foundation, the Farmery has been selected to receive matching funds as part of Give Big Green Bay, a 24-hour online giving event designed to rally the community around local nonprofits. From noon on Tuesday, February 18th through noon on Wednesday, February 19th, you can make your donation to the Farmery at www.givebiggreenbay.org. The Green Bay Packers and the Greater Green Bay Community Foundation will match every donation, which will provide high-quality learning experiences such as internships, job shadowing experiences, field trips, and community tours of the new facility. Donate online at www.givebiggreenbay.org and search The Farmery. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.